0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, lean in and enjoy. There we go. Why not? <laughs> there we go. See, the nice thing about this stage, you guys, at the privileged position, we're having to see that I'm not wearing socks. Tyler tuned me this morning, he said that's disgusting, but good thing I don't take my fashion sense off Tyler. Um, and uh, wow, this is very high. Eh? I'm intimidated. How are you guys up there? You guys, Thank you for actually being there. I didn't know anyone was there. <laughs> awesome. It's a massive privilege to be here. Gabe and feast sent lots of love. I know Gabe has massive FOMO. He's like the king of FOMO. And um, is this a right me up here? I feel like... Wow, this is very awkward. It's powerful. Okay. How do you like my powerful Hawaiian shirt this morning? I put it on and wanted to take it off. My wife rebuked me, so it's here yeah, because of the will of Candace van Pletsen. But um, it's an incredible privilege. I mean, one of the things I'm sure you've spoken about, but um, we're changing. And Gabe asked me to mention the time from 10 to 9.30 next week. Do you got that? Have you got that? You guys have got that in. So if you arrive at 10, you're going to miss all these good people serving you. And if you like some of our folk at Tableview arrive like half an hour eight, religiously, you will arrive for the second service anyway. So it's fine. It's actually perfect. It works out amazingly. But the vision's the same. God's take us in the same direction. But actually the strategy is God gives us a lot of space. In. And we're really excited. A double service at Tableview I feel is, is going to help us. We've had massive pressure in lots of different areas from kids to parking actually less so in the facility. We've been able to squeeze people in, but, and God's calling us, and it's part of Faith Step at this time, so we're partnering, and just thank you for partnering and being a part of that this morning. I want to jump right in, as we're doing a three-part series for the next three weeks, um, that I feel God is reminding us of who He's called us to be, the attitudes and postures He's called us to have for the mission that He has for us, and for the effectiveness that he has for us. And um, we're going to be preaching, and it's called All for the One. It's the heart of Luke 15 that God calls. But when even when we planted Milniton, there were moments of, ah, is this right? Should should we be extending ourselves? Should we do this? Should we, All our mates, we're not going to see some of our mates every week. I mean, how church sure should be about us. Our mates are there for us, surely. And then God reminded us, actually, if it's all for the one, And we sat in a meeting and and said, actually, if just one person gets saved, if one 10-year-old kid encounters the glory of God and worships God passionately for the rest of life, if one marriage gets restored, if one family encounters love, and God has been far, far more gracious than that because he is so, so good. But we still said we'd do it for one. And I want to put into us and remind us that as a community, we'll still do crazy things sometimes just for the one. And Luke 15 is these three different stories that are actually one big story that remind us that all of heaven rejoices and joy and life flows when the, the lost become found into his love and his grace and his goodness. And I think we've got to be reminded of that. You see, we see they sing these songs, break our heart for what breaks yours. We sing these songs. It's a powerful line. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've, I've got a little eight-year-old Well, he's seven now, seven-year-old boy. He's the most empathetic boy in the world, Ben. He he just, I mean, literally, he is the kid. If someone is hurting in a room, he'll find that person, spend the whole time with that person. He'll engage them, and he'll love them. And, I mean, we were watching a movie the other day, and to be honest, the rest of us thought this one scene was rather funny as one person was being picked on by the comedian. I turned to Ben. He's just weeping. What's wrong, Ben? No, they're being horrible to that man. Ah, need to go back to presence of God. I need to get back there. But he's that kid. And then we sing other songs like, uh, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. And I'm reminded that actually John calls us to be connected to the vine, just to know God, to be close and abide in him. But to be like him is a challenging thing sometimes because the gospel and his presentation of who he is is challenging to my preferences, my comfort zones, my smallnesses. You see, when you love someone, when you fall in love with Jesus as he reveals his love to you, you begin to love what he loves. There is a certain redhead. I'm not going to mention names. But he loves a certain football team that just also happens to be very red. I don't even like football. And I find myself checking the Liverpool scores. It is frustrating. (laughs) Just because I've hung around this guy, I've grown to love him. and I begin to enjoy what he enjoys. I even, in a bag where I couldn't fit anything more than the three printers that I brought back for Life Kids through customs, as they were staring at me like, what are you smuggling here, Pastor Dude? And um, I even managed to bring French vanilla coffee creamer because a certain redhead asked me to bring it. Just put that out there. But uh, but, uh, I married a a, a lady who loved dancing, and dancing has not been my thing unless it, yeah, impy. And, um, And I found myself watching every dancing movie that can come on, and I found myself ordering salads at restaurants. Salads wasn't even on the menu. Even if it was, it wasn't on the menu. Why? Because I love someone who loves salads, and I start falling in love with salads. See, that's what happens when you hang around with someone. When you enter into this amazing book of Luke 15, you're... Pulled into a story where there are three stories saying the same point. The celebration when the lost come home. The celebration when those that are lost and far from become found and close to. See, there's always a celebration moment, and there's this awkward moment where something is lost or misplaced. I had an awkward moment when I first moved down to Cape Town. I used to be on the, the setup and closing down or the closing down roster of the church. It was a Sunday night. I preached in the morning. I'd done people in the afternoon. I preached at night, and I kind of thought it was a good day. Walked around the building, checked. it's has done it. Walk around the building. You check all the doors. Is it locked? Why is that light not on? you got to figure out which light that is. Then you go home. I thought, well, actually, I'm still wide awake. I'm going to watch a movie. So I watched a movie till about 11. Then went up to the room, changed, went to bed. I thought, I'm just going to give my wife a little snuggle because I'm here and just let her know that I'm here. And she spoke these words that resounded in every part of me that caused chaos and deep, deep down in my soul. She asked me a question. She said, did you tuck Judah in? And in those split seconds, I realized Judah's not in this house right now. Where is Judah. And I'm racking my brain. I'm thinking, I'm, oh, all i got is the preach. i am got a whole bunch of, where's Judah? Where's Judah? And I'm becoming a bit frantic, But I'm looking very cool lying next to her going, he's fine. I didn't actually answer her question. I just told her he's fine. And I all of a sudden realized Judah was sleeping in the mother's room at church. She'd put him down to sleep and left him there. So I said, I'm just going to go check on the boys. I changed. I got in the car, drove back to church, unlocked the alarm, opened up, ran in. And the relief of finding my boy is still asleep in the mother's room. I had images of arriving and there's like cops everywhere and Judah in handcuffs against the car. It just it wasn't a good image. But the relief and the joy and the celebration, I put him over my shoulders and we went home. I said, I love you so much, boy. Where were you, dad? No, I was here the whole time, but never left you. It's a little bit like Luke 15. And I want to read Luke 15 for us, the first 10 chapters, as we find the heart of Jesus towards those Who have been lost. Some of you please don't report me to child welfare. (laughs) Promise I'll become a better dad. Promise. Verse 1. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. They raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them to come to him. In response, Jesus gave this illustration. There once was a shepherd with, hundred, with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for the one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, Let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, In the same way there will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold. More so than for all the righteous people who never strayed. Jesus gave them another parable. There once was a woman who had ten valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost. I have found. You see the main point? The joy of heaven over lost sinners being found. And Jesus illustrates his love and he sees his three different images. A sheep, a shekel, and a son. And actually, these stories, they pull out and you realize that I don't think as these different stories. Because they're three different contexts. One of them, the sheep innocently lost. Just wandered off down a different road. You realize as you hang around sheep, they do that at times. Then a shekel misplaced, probably carelessly. Drops through the cracks in the darkness of the house as they would have been living by candlelight in those days. Kind of like the woman who climbed over me on the plane last week, finding her cell phone in the middle of the night. I thought it was one of those horrible movie scenes. Like you wake up and there's a woman on top of you. Why are you on top of me? Anyway, that has just stopped. Don't even think about it more. There was no video footage and that will not be on Facebook. And, and then... The son that was lost willfully. Three different stories, three different examples, but still the same celebration that gets pulled in. But let's understand what's going on here. Because as we understand Jesus, as we draw near to Jesus, because the journey of Christianity is not to the principles of Luke 15. I must love the lost. That will make you do nothing. I must have a heart from those far from you. That will also make you do nothing. It will bear fruit for a while. And you'll maybe tell someone a story until your first obstacle comes. But when you catch the heart of Jesus, the storyteller, who I don't believe is trying to help us or even try to help those that were lost, I think he's trying to help the Pharisees. I think he's trying to help those that are so caught up in religion and smallness of principles and ways and laws. He's trying to help them saying, guys, that's not me at all. You think you're worshiping God by falling into every role, by pulling into every principle? No, let me tell you who I am. I think he's helping them. And inside of every believer, there's a potential Pharisee. Let's be honest. Every single one. God's saying, actually, I want to pull you somewhere beyond that. And it says this, many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. Let's just process that for a second. It's like generally we judge people by those they hang around with, don't we? Isn't that what the world says? Judge people, I hang around. So everyone lives in this aspirational world. I want to hang around people who've got more money than me, gone further in career than me, can inspire me to more, can challenge my 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 deficiencies. I want to hang around those people. Actually, Jesus chooses notorious tax collectors and thieves. Tax collectors worked for the Roman Empire. They were thieves. They were often people from, they would steal from their own culture. They were rich. They had money. And then it just says, other sinners. Other is quite a big category. It, it, a lot of things can fall into other. It's a big box. All the other boxes are small box, Other is a big box. And Jesus says, actually, the Bible says, right up front, Jesus was popular amongst these guys. Why? Was he not preaching about sin? No, he was speaking about sin a whole lot. He was speaking about, actually, in your ways, you are dead in your ways, but you're going to come into this stuff. But wherever he went, and we'll see later in Luke 5, it's the exact same scenario. Tax collectors and sinners... He chose them all. He was popular because of his demeanor, because of his posture. He wasn't sitting like, someone get me out of here. You ever seen someone, would hate to say a Christian, but just someone who's in a context, they're like, get me out of here. I love being here. So nice talking to you. Someone? Anyone? That's not Jesus. So they love being around him. They drew near not just to him, but to his teachings. See, there's power In the person of Jesus, there's power in the grace and the goodness of Jesus to encounter. My desire as we build a church isn't to build a church where people feel like they don't belong because they don't believe. And our desire as a leadership is to build a church where even though people don't believe, they can still feel like they belong. You know what hospitality means? It means welcoming the stranger. It means welcoming those that are different to you, maybe even in belief right now. Maybe that's the power of the gospel. Maybe that's the power of Jesus challenging us to build a community where actually even though people don't believe they would remain because of love, because of warmth, but they would go on a journey encountering not the church, but Jesus God calls us. And then, secondly, it says, they raised concerns, these guys, with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law, indignant. They grumbled and complained, saying, look at this man, how he associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. He associates with them and welcomes them. This is Jesus, guys. This is the guy you've just been singing about. See, religion gets in the mix and makes us, uh, makes us lose sight of grace. The problem with being a long-time Christian is we think we've fallen into the goodness of who we are. And we forget that God actually says, it's by, and in 2 Titus, says actually, it's only the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's only by the grace of God. And then reminds us in Titus 2 verse 12, actually we are called to grow in that grace. And all I am is someone who's walked with Jesus for a while and he's revealed his rhythms of grace to me. And I fall into the rhythms of grace and I find it easier and easier to walk in those rhythms, which means to say no to a whole bunch of stuff and to say yes to a whole bunch of stuff. But I'm just someone who's fallen into the rhythms he has given of grace. And when I forget that, I'll forget that he wants to keep revealing those same rhythms to others. And I'll forget that he doesn't choose and handpick who he reveals that grace to. Four things about Jesus. If this was Je- if Jesus had a Facebook bio, you know I love Facebook bios. I always check it out. Some people one line, other people like 17 pages, just in case you didn't know anything about me. If Jesus had a Facebook bio, this scripture reveals four things that should go on one on there. The first one is this. He loved the worst. He loved the worst. Not just, I mean, John 3.16 is not just a mantra. No, Jesus loved the worst. And he chose the worst. And he, he hung around with them. And I've heard statements from Christians like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm, my evangelism strategy for my life is to pick the low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, the, it's really ripe and it's really, and I'm just, they might not say it in those language. I'm waiting for the person. I've been walking with them for 27 years. Just loving them. Take them biscuits on Fridays. Now, I can see they're low-hanging fruit. Now I want to tell you, the gospel is always ripe and always ready. And the good news, people are always willing to hear the good news. Our job is just to sow it. Our job is just to keep sowing. Our job is to realize the reason we sow it isn't to get a result. The reason we sow it is because we've received so much. So we want to give it away. The good news is always ripe and ready. See, it carries on says, in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. See, when you're a bit slow and you're not getting it, he uses illustrations. That's how Jesus work, I have to do it with my boys sometimes. He uses three. These guys were very slow. He says, I'm going to show you about a sheepy. I'm going to show you about a shekel, and I'm going to show you about a son. He says, there once was a sheepy with a hundred lambs. Shepherd. <laughs> but one, one of his lambs, that didn't work. Wandered away and was lost. Stop there. I studied business for a number of years. When you've got 99 good, safe ones who don't wander away, called income for a shepherd, and you've got one that wanders away, you don't leave your 99 to go after the one. You look after the 99% of your income, the probable success of your business, your flock, because for a shepherd, their flock is their business and their livelihood and their legacy. But what does this say? So the shepherd left the ninety-nine lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one. And Jesus obviously, often got challenged like this when he called Levi and said, "Followed me." Others came and challenged him, and they asked this question: "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus answered them, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come for the righteous; I have come, but, but sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." See, the church can't just be a landing space for believers. We're just such a good landing space for believers. We'll make it so easy for you to get involved. No, this scripture doesn't leave us there. It challenges the very reasons we do stuff and how we do it. It challenges how we live our lives. It challenges our prejudices and our smallnesses. It challenges all of it. I want to tell you that I hear the statement a lot the church is a hospital. But what it actually means is the church is a hospital of cosmetic surgery for Christians to make them slightly better Christians so that when they get to heaven, they're slightly more like Jesus. That's not what that is. The hospital is so that the sick and the dead could be brought to and life could come to the dead and walk into life. And they become part of the staff in the hospital, bringing healing and wholeness to the dead and the almost dead. But when we make it, I'm going to get a bit of a touch-up. I'm going to come to this church touches me up. That guy's preaching really touches me up. When Michelle leads worship, I feel touched up. You're not getting a touch-up from Jesus. You're being pulled into a story that's so much bigger and it's got to shake and shape everything and every way that we live our lives. Was that a bit heavy? To make the sick well. Secondly, says this. He didn't stop until he finally found it, the lost sheep. Jesus persistent. Have you got persistence in you? Is there a story of of actually that's irresponsible? To leave no He says they'll be fine. They're together. They're a flock. They know my voice. They'll stay together. This guy's wandered off because he obviously doesn't know my voice that well. He's wandered off. So I'm going to go after him into the wilderness where there is danger. I struggled with that reckless love song, the number one song. Last year, I don't know if you know that. On all the top of this, I struggled with the word. I just didn't get it. I was like, how is God reckless? Until you realize he's singing about the 99 and the 1. And then you realize, and you put it in economic terms, it's reckless. It's a reckless investment of his safety as the shepherd. But understand this. Even though a shepherd would leave his flock, he still knows that there is a broader overtaking and care. And understanding within that story. And the flock have a security and a safety in themselves. Which is good. That's why you should be part of flock. And God pulls us into a story. He says, actually, those sheep, there's nothing scary about a sheep. They don't have claws. They can't sort you out. They can't protect them, so they're going to fall over, and they're just going to lie there. Because they don't have the strength to get up, and the sense of gravity just holds them down. They need the shepherd to get in there and pick them up, and put them back on their feet and walk. And he didn't give up until he found it. Three Point number three on Jesus' bio, the shepherd who carries those who need it. It's a challenge. I think of that sheep out there, flustered, bewildered, out in the wilderness, m- walking around, falling down banks. By the time the shepherd gets to that little sheepy, it's dirty, smelly, bugs all over it, rolled in things he shouldn't have rolled. Is that just me? How my mind works? Is that just you? I don't think that sheep became more clean. Here's what I've realized in 12 years of ministry, and this is a theological point. It's a great leadership point. You might want to write this down. It might be the only one. People don't come to church like Woolworth's chickens. No, seriously, write that down. It's good. I feel like you couldn't have written it that quickly. A oh, record. It's on record. It's okay. Let me tell you what I mean. I love Woolworth's chickens. They are perfectly packaged. They are warm and smell so good. They are perfectly basted 99.999% of the time. They, they, You, you take a butter knife to them and the wing just goes vloop. It's like you literally look at them and they fall into eight parts. It's ridiculous. I love Woolworth's chickens because I haven't had a dud one. They might be expensive, but they're always good. And yet I realize people don't come to church like that. I wish they did. I wish people just arrived, like one encounter with Jesus. And I preached that gospel for you. I heard that gospel preached for years. It's like, boom, Christus, Victor, you should be perfect now. Every issue has fallen off you. You have no issues. So we think Peter encountered Jesus following him. Evolve. He's no longer a fisherman who swears and smells like fish. No, I think he still swore for many times on that road. He's walking on the road behind Jesus in year two. He's seen miracles, seen salvation. Hits his toes. Ah! Just my imagination. Or is that still Peter? He's got some bad ways still going on. Jesus says, um, keep walking with me. Stay close. No, don't go away. Don't go swear behind the bush. He's behind the bush. Ah, 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 ah. I'm fine, guys. No, do whatever you've got to do here. But no, I still love you. I still walk with you, and I want you close. People don't come like walrus chickens. They come full of feathers. and you know, We're not going to pluck any heads off, but... Um, <laughs> And then it says this, returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus loves celebrations. We've got to get over the cricket clap thing. Of wow, that's so wonderful. Look at them. They made a really good call today. Hold on, guys. Hold on. We're so proud of you. No, this God is something that comes inside of us that calls all our mates to a party. And the lady there, she's looking in her house, there's wooden, she sees the coin, she grabs it. Hey, neighbors, hey, friends, come and let us celebrate. Why? Because the dead have come to life every time someone says yes to Jesus. We've got to get a revelation of what salvation is. And it causes celebration to pour out of our every pore. that it is huge. And even if it's one, oh, I mean... I I, I heard a pastor when I was traveling now say, you know, it it, it was not a great Sunday. I said, oh, why? Well, numbers were down and there were only three salvations. I said, hey, bud, wait. Those are three dead people that now are alive. If you had a dead person on stage here and we were at the funeral and they stood up, I don't think anyone's here is going, nah, get back. Get back. If we loved them and we wanted them to be with us, there would be a party. We would throw a welcome home party for the dead person. Would we do that still? And God calls us. She's sweeping her house. I can't find it. I can't find it. She says she's sweeping her house. Can't find it. Can't find it. I find it. When Jesus finds, there's a party. And I remind us I think Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees to see what he sees, to move their hearts so that the laws and the smallnesses and the limitations of their thinking that have been cramped up by laws over years and years and years get opened up to who is Jesus. Are you open to who is Jesus today? Because it'll challenge everything. The Pharisees loved their laws. Jesus spoke about God's righteousness that is given. The Pharisees kept the sinners out of the synagogues. Keep out. Stay out. Stay away. Jesus just kept saying come close. Come eat with me. Come brow with me. Come sit with me. Come walk with me. Pharisees kept their stance and posture of intimidation and look how good our clothes are and look how well we dress. Jesus just made himself accessible, warm, reassuring, inviting. See, the Bible and the truth of the gospel is called good news. Religion has no good news to offer. There's got to be an urgency that comes in our story. Seven point something billion people in this world. I'm watching IPL cricket the other day. 1.4 something billion people in India. Most of whom worship dead idols made by the hands of men. Following a whole bunch of laws. Something's got to break. See, I grew up in a home where my parents grew up in conservative South Africa. And then I got given three sisters who all sing and all spent their world in NAPAC and these playhouse stories, and I spent my life at plays. I can sing Shobo to you, Lema's Rob. I can sing you the whole deal. We weren't going to do it now. But what came with that package was a whole world. And that whole world looked like a whole world that had a major homosexual influence in it. And I was young, but I watched as some of Durban's most notorious people in this world, which is big in the area of Durban, would come and sit at our dining room table. And my parents would put the finest food on the table. And when people had had too much to drink, my mom would tell them, you're not going anywhere, boy. You're staying here. And they'd sleep in our home. And when the world fell apart and relationships broke, they'd be in our home receiving love and comfort. And I realize there's something different about that when I look back now. Because there was risk attached. I, grew, I have men who have been in a homosexual lifestyle for years sleep in my room. Some of you don't get freaked out, don't have grace, it, then don't do it. But God pulled my parents into a story, into a world. And then two years ago, I went to go preach at a church in Durban. It was packed. There was no time. And I got a, a message from my sister, please call. And I thought, what's this now? Master doesn't go to church. He said, No. This man who is notorious in Durban. Notorious. And and he's asked that you would come. His mother's not well. And he saw on Facebook you were in Durban. And he's asked that you would come and pray for her. And I had a whole meeting lined up with the elders. I was gonna meet with the leadership of the church. I said, But I've got to go. He said, What do you mean I've got to go? No, there's this story. I've got to go. So I went. And I arrived, and she wasn't well, and he was there, emotional. And he said, no, please pray for her. I said, no, 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 I didn't come here, so you can stand in a corner, and I come and minister to your mom like some genie. You have asked for something. You actually have faith, and you don't even know it. Come and sit next to me. You lay hands on your mom when I'll lay hands on my mom, and we trust in a great God. And I don't care where you are right now. I care who Jesus is. And maybe that challenges some of your theology. But I look at this guy who leaves the safety of the 99, who don't run away and chases the one. And I grew up in a home where people got over their prejudices and their smallnesses so people could be loved. And I'm saying, God, you've got to keep challenging that in me because I tend towards smallness. I tend towards safety. I tend towards people like me I tend to away from people who maybe just touch on prejudices that shouldn't be there, but still are sometimes. Why? Because it's not a principle. It's a heart. A heart. And Jesus comes at his last night and is watching Son of God on Friday night with my boys. Have you anyone watched it? And, um, It's quite hectic, actually. And Jesus, there's a moment. He says, I won't be with you. We won't have a meal again together. It's the Last Supper. He says, one of you will betray me. It's quite a moment. And then there's this moment where he takes off his robe. Because the Bible says he took off his robe. He took off his outer garments. And then he got down and washed their feet. Feet of those who would betray him. Who would leave him and abandon him. What was that robe? And why is it important? And, and there's some interpretations, but w- one of the more consistent commentaries around that robe is that it was a robe a rabbi would wear in the p- previous dispensation under the law. And it would have all these tassels. And in those tassels would be exactly 613 little knots tied. Why? Each of those knots representing the law under which man had to come. And Jesus, with his robe, takes it off, and puts it down. He gets down on his knees and takes the dirty feet of wanderers and those that would leave him when he was in his lowest moment, and he knew that, and washes their feet, saying, I put my righteousness aside on this cross so that you could be washed clean pulled into a story where grace washes over you. Please never forget who I am and the story I've pulled you into and the truth that Jesus is the one who hung around with the notorious thieves and sinners has to change how and why we live our lives. Who you have around your dining room table. I have those people because they can influence my career. And I have those people. Who you have in your home? See, I had a couch, a red couch, for 12 years. I led a life group for 12 years. On that couch, I saw racism get dealt with. On that couch, I saw prejudices of every kind get dealt with. On that couch, I got abused and got told things about myself I never knew, some of which were true and some of which weren't. I learned how to be like Jesus in moments. I'm grateful to God for that cast, but I'm more grateful that I get to know him. I get to abide in him. I get to just be a worshiper of him. The problem sometimes is we think that our job is to lead people. Actually, he's their shepherd. He's the number one shepherd. He's the one they need most. His grace, his goodness. God's got to do something with the smallness of my heart. It demands me looking back and saying, who have I had at my table? Who have I met with? Who have I given my time and my energy and my finance and my resources? Who have I exposed my family to? I don't know. Honestly, the homosexual thing wasn't in my notes, but God has got that in our city. And we're either going to hide behind the four walls of the church or we're going to open up our hearts and our homes, our hands, and the sanctity of some of the safe spaces to bring people and say, God, if not in our House. And, and you've got to wrestle that to him. But we are part of that. And Luke 15 is not about a strategy for evangelism. Luke 15 is about who is Jesus. Can I pray for us? I feel like, I feel like actually we've got to repent. I, I have to repent. The smallnesses and prejudices that have kept us in too small a place at times. This is far more than an evangelism strategy. This is about who Jesus is. Will you have the notorious at your table? Will you feed them and love them? Will you allow yourself to be moved again? By a revelation of the grace of Jesus that washed you clean five years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I met a mate of mine and he said something that he didn't realize cut me deep to the core. I worked with him for two years and he said to me, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? (laughs) And I didn't because I was waiting for him to be in the right place. I thought, there's a strategy here. You know who told him about Jesus? Someone who'd been saved for two weeks. I've been saved for most of my life. You have the good news. Tell it. And if there's stuff in the way, deal with it at the foot of the cross. Repent and allow the grace of God to reveal his rhythms, his sustaining, powerful grace that pours over the fact that he will hold you. Thank you, Father, that your grace is here. Thank you that your goodness is here. Thank you that you're moving us from comfort and safety into the wide open spaces of trusting you again afresh. Thank you that there are testimonies of this here with others who've gone further and beyond, and yet, God, you're calling us to so much more. Actually, if you feel like there's areas of prejudice or smallness that have limited you from feeling like you could even share the gospel with someone, I'd love to pray with you. And I'm going to stand with you. But I want to pray just in repentance with us that we would take a moment So actually, we're going to turn to Jesus again. That's all repentances. It's turning to him again. You want to be part of a story that reaches the broken and the worst. Will you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Right now we stand. Maybe we don't even know fully the scale of a prejudice or a hurt or a pain that's limited us. Maybe it's a family member. We've made statements like they will never choose Jesus. This morning, as a family, in this moment we repent and we say, God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Break our heart for what breaks yours. Oh, to be like you, to give all we have just to know you, God. We'll give up reputation. We'll give up the expectations of men so that one, just one, could know you for eternity. As all of heaven sings, we will rejoice. And we thank you for the privilege that we get to partner with you. Can you just praise and we say, worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus.